Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday night, and tomorrow I have to go off out of town. So I'm going to try to do the latest podcast of the week, the Tefillah podcast, which is always is sponsored by wonderful Mishpacha Stefanski. We thank them. And uh, very briefly, some of you wrote me emails and stuff. Where is that? Chazal or Ezra said, oh, yo, I put the dots on the top because I'm not sure about it. And got a couple of questions about that. So you look in um, in the Medish Rabbah Bamidbar. Um, just before Parsha Dalit. Okay, at the end of Parsha Gimel. If you look around there, you'll see Kacham etc. So you'll see it over there. It's a Medeshah, but plain and simple. It's also a reserve. Not somebody, that doesn't matter. Now, um, to get down to the field, I'll tell you what I was thinking. I'm going away for Shabbos. That made me think about Shabbos. Plus, I have to speak in Rochester about the Second Temple era. And that made me think about all that. And maybe think about the tefillah that we have on Shabbos and the Shimon Estri. I'm talking about the Chakras one, which is very interesting. Um, where it says, Yismach Moshe Matnaschalko, Kinemon Kroslo, etc., as we know. Um, which is a poetic introduction to Bashaman Esau's Shabbos. Okay? Now, of course, we're all familiar with that. But what is the meaning of Bashaman Esau's Shabbos? Lasa Shabbos, Eros, and Brisalom? That's easy enough. Baini of Emineus, Oisiliolom. It's something between me and the Jewish people. What do you mean it's something between me and the Jewish Why is it only something between you and the Jewish people? Why is it, if Shabbos is supposed to remind you God created the world six days, I mean, it applies to everybody. We believe that everybody in the world is supposed to believe that. So what's that? It's, it's famous, a guy keeps Shabbos Chaim Misa. You know, what is all that? What is all that? You see, there's strain over here. Shabbos having several um, images or identities. In the biblical text, one is a plain day of rest. One is theological, to remember that God created the world in seven days, uh, what, which is kind of universalistic. One is, as you have in the two, second of the Ten Commandments, the one in Devarim, it says something like, you should remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and now you're resting. You know, you didn't have any uh, time over there. Uh, I believe that's the wording, uh, by memory. Which is a completely different part. That's a natural, national, get it? The first one is like universalistic. After all, at the time God rested in the world, there were no Jews. It's for everybody. Um, however, with the experience of the Jews in the, uh, the slavery in Egypt, then becomes specific. You understand? Uh, specific. Uh, to remember the fact you got slavery, that's only something the Jews had. Others didn't have it. Uh, this led me to think um, that what you say in Shabbos, you know, that's a Pusik, as we all know, I think, in Kisiso. Remember, there was long two aliyahs in the beginning. If you've ever been to Balkari, you know what I'm talking about. There's two long, uh, you know, the first one, the second one. And in all that, 
you have endless discussion about God tells the Jewish people to build a Mishkan and the spices and the Katarus, all that business, you know, right? All that stuff. And anoint it all with oil or whatever. And then, after he finishes, a Shemana and a Mishkan, Katarus Asamim, after giving instructions about the technical stuff, that's a mystical, right? That O.C. Benu Benichem is a special sign between you and me. What do you mean it's a special sign between you and me? What does that mean? Um, it's a mystical idea. You get it? It's mystical. It's like Shabbos has a certain, uh, what shall I say, personality, soul, and it has to do with a mystical connection to Jewish people and God. That's already not my monodine or anything like that. No. But it's in the Chumash. It's in the text. And after a little bit, he says, Shomne Yisrael Tashavos, on that passage, Be'inu ve'min Yisrael o'si li'olam, Kishay Shomah Sashmai Yisrael Yomashi Shavos Nafash. Which is kind of funny because by Yomashi Shavos Nafash, it's not about the Jewish people. It's about all the humanity. Even in the Jewish religion, we believe everybody, Jewish or not, has to believe that God created the world in seven days. Now, you, you get what I'm saying? If you're Jewish, I'm sorry, if you're not Jewish, according to Judaism, you have what they call the Shem Mitzvah B'nai Noach. But those are very broad areas, themes. So, the guy, according to Shem Mitzvah Noach, has to believe in the Torah. <laughs> get it? He or she is not bound by the legal and ritualistic demands on there. They don't have to put on tefillin, they don't wear scissors, they don't have to keep kosher. But they have to believe that God told the Jewish people to do that. The Rambam is famous on this, where he says, this is a very controversial passage in the Mishnah Torah, where the Rambam says over there at the end, that a guy who's a good person, but doesn't do the good stuff, because the Torah commands it, because he believes God ordered it, but simply because he's a moral human being, is still going to burn in hell. This is a problem that's bothered thinkers for a long, long time. This was a big item with, between Moses Mendelssohn and Yaakov Emden back in the 18th century. It is a little strange. But the Nakuda behind all of it is that everybody, we believe, from here to Cucamonga, to the North Pole and the South Pole, in classic formal Judaism, everybody has to believe in the in the Torah and the veracity of the stories of the Torah. It's just that the rules don't apply to them. You see? Except the Shem Mitzvahs. So, everybody's got to believe in the, in the uh, we say, in the Genesis account, and everybody's got to believe that God created the world in seven days, however you interpret seven days. I don't think it's required that everybody in the world believe it's a literal. You know, I don't know. Like that. But they have to believe in that basic yesod, that it didn't come from nowhere or some automatic big bang on its own. You know, there's a creator. Now, that's universalistic. Here it says, O.C. Benu Benichem. That's what you put in davening. That's the thing in the davening. So something special and exclusive. You know, I could kick myself. I got up to look. It reminded me of a famous thing I saw once in the Chaim Grata book. And doggone, it's missing. I have no idea where it went. If anybody wants to get me a Hanukkah present, get the Mother's Sabbath days. My copy's lost. I have no idea where it is. The Mama Shabbosim. 
And uh, I remember, Chaim Grad is a famous novelist. He's actually called Weirdo, but he was a genius writer. Wasn't from. Started out from, became not from. You know, he's the guy that writes, he was Chavrusa with the Chazanish and all that. So anyway, he writes, he's a fantastic writer. And it's sort of autobiographical, and the long and the short of it is he ran away from Hitler and ends up like in Tashkent or someplace like that in central Russia, where all these Polish and, and, and uh, refugees who escaped from Hitler and ran deep into Stalin, that's how he survived the war. And I remember, I haven't read this in years, but he is wandering around Tashkent, I think that's where it was, you know, like Bukhara, one of his places, Central Asia, far away from the war. And he runs into a Jew, maybe a Lubavitcher, maybe not. And the guy said something like, are you keeping Shabbos? I wish I had it in front of me. Believe me, I'm so angry I couldn't find it. I forgot that it's lost. Mother's Sabbath days. And the long and the short of it is, the guy said something to him about Shabbos, where he said, you know, like in the Shabbat Brachas, a new couple who are now newly intimate. They're in their own zog, And they can make eye gestures and things like that to each other that they understand and nobody else in the room understands. That's the normal way. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, like I just said. How do I should be like that? So he said, You know, when you keep Shabbos, even if, you know, nobody else in the street knows you're keeping Shabbos because you're walking around Stalin's Russia, but you keep Shabbos, you know, and you and God are like winking at each other. I don't know if I'm saying it exactly over. I haven't seen this in decades. But it's a very good vort. You know, Sam, very good vort. And probably it happened. Chaim Grady usually is autobiographical. He puts in his novels things that he himself experienced. He was not a Shamashah, but he's writing about what others said. So this idea of the mystical attachment has something to do which sounds like Kedushin, you know, is one of the pillars of the Jewish Sabbath. It's not the only one. It's one of the pillars of the Jewish Sabbath. I'll say it again. There is a universalistic thing. That's why on Friday night you say by Chulu. Uh, for some reason, we didn't enter the prayer book. The thing from the second commandments, you know, right? That didn't enter. But uh, in the liturgy. But the Shabbat Nesra Shabbos did. And so, we have the two extremes. On Friday night, you use the uh, you know, universalistic philosophical aspect. And then on Saturday morning, he's this highly mystical, exclusivistic business. means, if we're a young couple, others should butt out. Correct? If you have enough sense at a Shabbat that's not the time they want to talk to you. <laughs> they want to talk to each other. If things are good. If things are not good, that's a different story. If things are good, they should be all the time yakking with each other or gesturing to each other. You know how it goes. He's he's moving his eyelids, eyebrows at what her parents are saying and she's doing for his parents. You know, that, that's the way the world. That's normal. Now, um, this mystical business is very, very interesting because I'll tell you how I read it. I'm surprised I'm unfortunate I don't say it. You have Kisisov. You have God telling Moshe all these technical rules about the upcoming Mishkan. For example, Machsa Shekel. For example, the Katoris. For example, the oil. 
Lishem and Meshchav, and all this other business. And so they're being told over here how to construct physically a sanctuary. But after that, think God says, right after finishing with the Shem and Mishcha, in Perik Lamadal Pasuk Good Base, Vayim Hashem Limor Achashav Sosai Tishmon Hosi Benechem Daniel Hashem Kadishan. There's another base of Mikdash. It's not a physical one; it's one in time, and that's called Shabbos, and it's just as important as the Mishkan under your building. Perhaps you may give me a Dvar Torah and say it's more important. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? And just like the Mishkad is like pretty exclusivistic, the Jews are building it. It'll be in the middle of the Jewish camp. Then the Shechina will shachanti b'socham. So it's a pretty exclusivistic business. So Shabbos also has that character. That's why in these Sukkim it's emphasized Bein Yuvein Yichem, Ozi, Liolam, and so on and so forth. So the narrow sense of the Shabbos uh, is what it's emphasizing. And I might say in the course of history, and that's what I'm going to talk about today, on um, whether or not you keep Shabbat been a marker. It's like a boundary line. Because a lot of people have been interested in Jewish stuff. When it comes to actually going ahead and keeping Shabbat, committing and keeping Shabbos, that's a different thing because it's hard. Unless you really are totally committed to it. You know, you plunge it with both feet. It's not something you can celebrate once in a while. It's a lifestyle business. Now, you can do whatever you want. You can celebrate once in a while. But then it's not going to become Osi Bene Bene Chem. You see what I'm saying? The lady always walks around wearing a ring. A married lady. So, you know, the Jew always walks around wearing shop, so to speak. Sounds a little preachy, but you, you know what I mean. Okay? Now, the liturgy that we have is ancient. Where do you have this thing of Saturday morning that became universalistic? You say, Yismach Hoshimat Neskalko, which is a poetic introduction to reciting the passage from Kisisa, Shomne Yisrael, Shabbos, Osi, Beinu Venechem. It has to do, at least I'm going to argue this in New York, uh, and I have before it, with the time and place where the liturgy was created. Our davening is always a combination of the timeless and the timely. There are prayers, they have specific historical context. And others less so. Uh, that's just an interesting thing. Uh, today, I see a lot of shows. They're very giving into the prayer for America. Well, I was a kid, you didn't see this. I'm talking about from show. You didn't see this much. Not that I recall. Uh, certainly, you didn't see so much the prayer for Israel. Now, it's kind of like universe. I mean, a lot of it. Okay? And these are time-bound. These are time bound. They represent the passions and feelings people have now. And it's a push that, that's going on now that wasn't necessarily yesterday. Back in the old country, you said a prayer for the Tsar because you had to. And when no one's looking, you probably, probably didn't say it, but I'm, it's not true. Because every Jewish community in Eastern Europe had a share of most of them. It's an unfortunate fact. We don't like to necessarily talk about it. The historians know all about this. Every single um, Jewish community had more than a share of most room, I'm sorry to say. It could be doggone short. If there was a synagogue that kind of deliberately or whatever omitted the prayer for the government, somebody would tell the Russian police on them. I'm not saying the police would do something, wouldn't do something, but it would go down on a record. You see what I'm saying? 
So it became a thing in, in Europe, Eastern Europe, you always say the prayer for the king, and so on and so forth. Now, in other times and places, maybe they wanted to. Like in Austria, they like Franz Josef, so they like to make a prayer for him. Nobody likes Tsar Nicholas II or his predecessors. Why would you? But they felt they got to do it anyway. Otherwise, they might get in trouble. There is, of course, a conservative philosophy which says, have mispal v'shalom shalmachos, because otherwise, he's just real high and blow. That part is true also. But to go active and make a bracha, that reflects time and place. Now, in the thing what I'm talking about today, tonight, we have uh, a a liturgy in the chakras, which clearly is uh, Gaulistic in, in, in character, was composed outside of Israel, I'm sure of it, and reflected the following fact. In the Second Temple period, he had a lot of half-Jews and partial Jews who wanted to attend services. It's part of the Hellenistic era. People are turned off from the existing religions for certain reasons. I'm going to try to explain this in, in Rochester. But it happened. And people were looking for something different. And some people check out Judaism. Wherever you went throughout the Eastern Mediterranean, there were Jewish communities. And every Jewish community, there evolved something called a Migdash Mada, a, a shul, a synagogue. Uh, I'm not saying it's exactly the in conformity with what the Talmud later on called basic and all the rest of it. Didn't need to be. Here you're Jewish. You're living in Egypt. You're living in Cyprus. You're living in Athens. Living in South Italy, and so forth. How do you practice your Judaism? There's no basic English. You're very far away from basic English. How do you practice your Judaism? Maybe in Israel, you just go along. But of course, you have to do something positive to maintain your Jewish identity. So they call, they started prayers and synagogue prayers. And they added to that reading from the Torah. And they added to that maturgamans. And the maturgamans could be interesting. And so, for quite a few centuries, if you attended a synagogue outside of Eretz Yisrael, in what I would call the, the Greco-Hellenistic, perhaps Roman era, you'd have a lot of people showing out technically Jewish. Now, mind you, it's not against the Jewish religion if somebody's not Jewish to attend. Agreed? We have nothing to hide. We have no secret rituals. If somebody, out of respect, I've had that once in a blue moon. Somebody wants to come and see what Jewish prayers are like, you can do it. I don't say it's typical, but you can do it. You can do it. Now, um, what happened was that a lot of people like parts of Judaism and not the other parts. Okay? So to give an example today, even though it's not a good example, but I'll do it anyway. Madonna likes the Kabbalah. Right? What does that mean? She ain't interested in becoming Jewish, and she sure as heck has an interest in, in all the do's and don'ts and the rituals and the halachas. She likes a certain shit Kabbalah. Maybe she figures to bring her good luck. I don't know. Other movie stars, things like that. is a fad. You see? So... 2,000 years ago and more, there were a lot of people who were not Jewish and they liked attending services. And they liked certain parts of it. Not to be overly funny, but I'm sure it's true. Uh, everybody likes to kish. <laughs> I remember many, many years ago, I once gave a speech in Shomer Moon in the shoulder and trying to explain 
what attracted uh, people, Greeks and similar types, to the services. And I tried to say it was the sermons. There was truth to that. Official gross to caterer. God, if it wasn't the sermons, it's the Kiddush. Kiddush Rish on Kiddush Shani. For all I know, he might be right. Yes, I mean, who knows? Might be right. All I'm saying is that there are things that are eternal on to somebody who's not Jewish when he visits the Jewish synagogue. That things are turned off. Believe you me. If somebody wasn't from, uh, not Jewish, he walked into one of these shoals that you hear about and had a lavish Kiddush Rishon. With this and that and the other, he might say, oh, yes, I'm coming here every week, baby. <laughs> no? The food is good. The booze is good. What's there not to like? And I don't even mind the tunes. So this drove the rabbis crazy. You know what I'm saying? These people shouldn't be here. Uh, they're crossing lines. It's one thing to visit once in a while. Another thing to be a permanent hanger-on. If you come every week, then already the idea is like this. Are you in or are you out? You're joining or not joining? A lot of people in those centuries said, I'm joining one on my own terms. I'll keep Shabbos, but I won't keep Yom Kippur. I'll keep Kashas, but the heck with uh, Mikvah. I hear that. Right? Or, you know, just pick and choose. This I like, this I don't like. I like Simchas Torah, I'll come every Simchas Torah, I don't like Tishko. You follow? That kind of business. And the problem was, as is the problem sometimes today, after a while you don't know who's Jewish anymore. Because the family's been a part of the Jewish community for such a long time. They've been hanging around over here, you don't remember. They've been coming for two, three generations. Was the grandfather Jewish? The grandfather was not Jewish. Did he convert? Did he not convert? Didn't we hear a story, and I didn't even follow the story the other day, this Lebanese guy that married this from girl, or something like that? If what I was told in Shul, I really didn't follow the story. But if I was told in Shul, a story I think by David Kramer, I think he said something along the lines of exactly what I'm talking about tonight. That the guy was from Lebanon, he's Arab, he was attracted to Judaism, but he never actually converted. You see? So, the reason I'm mentioning that is a lot of people would come to Shulman Shabbos. That's when they had the services in the ancient times. And he liked all the other parts. And he keeps Shabbos. Now, if the guy's keeping Shabbos, then he's going to marry a Jewish girl. I mean, you know, he's going to really blend in. So he said long ago, O.C. Beni Beni Chem. This is exclusive. This is mystical. A Yid gets an Hashem Yisera. The other one does not. You understand? Like that. As Ramban tries to argue in that puzzle. It's something mystical. There's a logical part. And if somebody was doing Kiru, they would explain the logical side. Right? If I was assigned a job to do Kiru and try to persuade people about Shabbos, you say, you know, the biblical account, the resting of God. All right, let's have a discussion. What does it mean God rested? You know, all that kind of logical stuff. Which is very interesting. Which is interesting on its own. But it would lose out the mystical side that this is a a wedding ring, to use a fancy term, or some kind of tchotchke between God and us. And therefore, Goyesh Shabbos, they said it was Chaim Misa, which is pretty radical, because they said you're in or you're out. Either you sign up and you become Jewish, you fully convert, 
or stay away from this sort of thing because it's the central mystical, um, you know, uh, ritual institution. Shabbos didn't say a guy keeps kosher. This guy misa didn't say a guy keeps Pesach. This guy misa didn't say a guy who goes to the mikvah. This guy misa that's just interesting. But there's something special about Shabbos, and you see that reflected in the liturgy. I don't want to stay too long tonight. But what do you say? That is actually a little poetic introduction to Shomrei Yisrael Shabbos. And after you say, then you have a very interesting paragraph, which to me, clearly, without question, goes back to the Second Temple period, which you had a lot of hangers on, semi-Jewish and others. And this is saying, those guys should not keep Shabbos. You want to attend services? You want to watch from a distance? You want to observe? All right. Don't participate in the reception of Shabbos because you're not Jewish. This was not given by God to Goyim. Isn't interesting? A lot of Jew, I'm sorry, a lot of Goyim said like this, I like Judaism. I ain't going to the level of circumcision. That's where the rubber hits the road, you know? That is a dividing line, which I totally get. So, this is a racist thing. I mean, you can't get more racist than that. The rest of it is adding on. So, apparently, whoever didn't like the phenomenon I just said insisted, this is like Lamalshinim, so to speak, that people should recite. It's part of the liturgy. Out loud. Every Saturday morning, those of you who are not really Jewish don't participate in this. And by making everybody do so, it's going to discourage them from blurring the boundaries. To me, it's pretty clear. It's a reflection of what was the problem at that time, which was these half-baked uh, conversions. wasn't really conversions. You know, the greatest problem you had is syncretism, which is... You keep, you go to shul on Saturday and church on Sunday. That's what took everything down in the bias regional period. I've said it many times. If you study closely what happened in the bias regional period, wasn't so much they dropped Judaism, but rather they had both. They went to shul on Saturday and church on Sunday. I, Jewish religion says you can't have that. They have it anyway. People are not consistent. And this kind of consistency is what the rabbis always been freaked on. And this prayer represents it. And so, here we are with Hanukkah around the corner. And that's what made me think of this. And Hanukkah takes place in Hellenistic era. And one of the things Hanukkah is about is the relationship between those who are Jewish and those who are not. Especially in the Hellenistic context. And here's a prayer which says, we insist on drawing a sharp line. If you want to convert, because don't hate anybody's a geared tzedek, it's fine. If that's what you want to do, you actually don't have the right to turn them down. That's the story of Timnah. But if you want 50-50, if you want syncretism, if you want to keep Shabbos, but you also want to keep Sunday, then it's no good because that can bring the whole business down. And it ends up being a violation of the mystical relationship. It's like somebody horning in on a newly married couple, uh, which would be obscene. This is a decoration of this is obscene. Anyway, I thought that this is an interesting 
think it's a classic example of a prayer that we have in the davening in the liturgy, which is historically conditioned. We still recite it today, even though we're not exactly the same situation. But you know, in modern America, maybe some of this is coming back. Like you see from that story with the guy, the Lebanese guy married that Syrian Jewish girl the other day. So sometimes history, truth is stranger than fiction, let's put it that way. Anyway, I just wanted to share, as I said before, uh, those thoughts. I'm off for Scholar Residence Weekend. I wish I, I want to thank, as always, Mishpach Stefanski. I wish everybody a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.